Hi there. You're listening to F&B Soundbites, a podcast where we cover hot topics, trends and challenges of interest to professionals in the engine room behind the food and beverage industry. I'm your host, Hamish McCook. So today we're going to talk about the red meat processing sector and I've brought two very interesting guests to talk with you today. Both have extensive experience in the red meat sector um, and work with clients across the board. Ross Derbyshire, Ross began his career as a graduate engineer at Becker. Fast forward 30 years, he now leads the Queensland team as the regional manager and director. So when Ross isn't designing meat processing plants, he can be found on the sidelines cheering on his son with school rugby. And that's rugby union, I think. Is that right, Ross? It is, absolutely. There's Kiwi roots coming through by the sound of it. And also we've got Nigel Wilson. Nigel is also steeped in the meat industry with a background working within the industry itself. And Nigel's working with Becker now. He's Southern Industrial Manager for Becker, leading a team across mechanical process and electrical engineering services outside of work Nigel like many of us is busy driving around his daughter to play sports but when he's not chauffeuring he's actually taking his beloved mountain bike through the hills of Dunedin welcome Nigel and hopefully you're all in one piece Hamish I do come home with a few scrapes and bruises each weekend which my wife just shakes her head at but um, (laughs) buying an e-bike has probably made that worse but anyway we'll be right I get it now you cruise up the hills and have the fun down absolutely Let's get into it. So let's start off with energy. And Ross, I'm going to throw to you first, mate. If I look at Australia, energy costs are going up, some regulatory stuff coming in. Climate change is driving a lot of reasons for the industry to change at the moment. What's your take? Like you said, the last couple of years, the the power and gas pricing has been extremely high. And that's one of the major costs from an operational point of view. The red meat industry in Australia is also driving the initiative to be carbon neutral by 2030. So, you know, you've got high costs and you're wanting the industry to try and go to carbon neutral. We've got numerous clients now looking at how they can create more clean energy rather than using the power or the coal energy, how they can reuse the biogas that they create off their ponds, even looking at how they can actually create their own power through the likes of solar farms and then looking also then at battery storage on how they actually store that excess energy so if they have excess energy whilst their plants not under production like through the night time can they resell that excess energy back to the power grid what we've also been looking at with clients is how they can reduce refrigeration and water bills Mm, so you know refrigeration is the biggest power user on these sites Mm. there's a lot of waste heat in these processing facilities how can we actually capture some of that waste heat and then reuse that to generate power or substitute other sources of power there's a lot of opportunities this is creating and especially with these plants being a little bit older and been following them and built probably in in the 40s or 50 years ago Mm. And so Becker have a team of smart people who are creating good solutions. Yeah, bang on. You're right. Thank you. Now, I'm going to pivot on to automation. So the other thorny problem, and, and actually in New Zealand at the moment, automation is probably more needed than ever, really, partly because we're unable to bring in our seasonal workers due to COVID. And so we're actually, you know, we're having some real challenges because we've got a really high labour input required for um, a lot of the red meat sector. So Nigel, can you take us through the situation we're at at the moment in terms of opportunities to automate in the red meat processing sector at the moment? 
Yeah, sure, Hamish. So if you step back into the 80s, there was a revolutionary step change in the processing of meat, mainly in, in New Zealand. But through that, there was a lot of innovation came out of it. And that was taken across the rest of the world because New Zealand was sort of was seen as the powerhouse in the, in the red meat sector. So through that innovation, there was various groups formed in New Zealand and in Australia. And, and I was lucky enough to be part of sort of the New Zealand team. We were looking at opportunities at the front end of the process, you know, remove those repetitive strain tasks, remove those heavy lifting tasks or those heavy pulling tasks, you know, the people that were pulling pelts off, you know, really high intensity labor mm. jobs. So a lot of those were taken out through simple machines. And then robotics came in in the, in the 2000s. You know, we started looking at robots to do some of these tasks. The industry at those times had low margins. So getting a return on investment was the key. What it did is it grew a number of companies to support the meat industry, both in New Zealand and Australia and globally, to look at where those opportunities were. So lamb was probably one of the winners of the day. Um, a number of machines and and equipment were developed over those years and still continue to be installed as plants upgrade or the likes. As technology improves, the cost of that technology is declining, which means that we can start looking at the return on investment and start taking those people out. But I suppose one of the biggest things that we've seen in the later years has been the back end. So what I mean by the back end is carton handling. So what we want to see is we want to see that once the meat is in the box and the lid's been glued on, yeah. that no hands touch it from there. Now, mm-hmm. there are several companies globally that are providing bits of equipment. I suppose what Becker are doing is is we're working with our clients and with some of those vendors to pull all that together because a lot of vendors don't tend to have the end-to-end solution. We step in and, and we're able to help them pull all the different packages together. Now, unfortunately, again, it's a scale thing. So the big beef sites or the big lamb sites, they can afford to do that. Well, they can't afford to do it, but they've got a closer return on investment than some of the smaller players. But in saying that, there are portions of automation, both the front end and the back end, that can be implemented into some of those smaller sites to remove some of those repetitive jobs, those heavy lifting jobs. As technology grows and the cost of technology comes down, I can see that you know there's going to be more and more of it rolled out throughout the industry. And yeah. I think we're lucky enough that as a globe, we're sharing a lot of that information as well. So, you know, the Europeans caught up in the production and a lot of learnings are coming out of Europe as well. So there's a bright future ahead. We've just got to get some of these guys to um, to take that step. Yeah, that's really interesting. Interesting as well that you talk about Australasia and New Zealand maybe being a powerhouse of technology development decades ago, but that is really interesting. I should actually relate a personal story as well. So my son spent the last two summers throwing boxes of meat into stillages that go into freezer, then unloading the stillages and, and loading a container. A lot of that's by hand. <laughs> and uh, he's a young fellow, a fit young guy, he can handle that, but I'd hate to think the bodies of the, the people that have to do that year in, year out. And our industry is getting older. The days as a career path in the meat industry, it doesn't appear to be as strong as it used to be. Yeah. You know, the workforce is getting older, hence why we really rely on foreign workers coming into the countries, both Australia and New Zealand, to fill those gaps. As we all know, that's pretty tough at the moment. I want to pull it all together now, Ross and Nigel. What do you suggest companies do when they've got a site that may be existing? How do they approach that investment journey? Yeah, Hamish, what we're doing now for a number of clients is we're taking their existing sites and we're doing what we call a master plan. So a master plan of what that site might look like in, say, five years or 10 years' time. They will have growth expectations. 
but it's also going back to that site that's potentially 40 or 50 years old mm. and just looking at how it's been laid out, just providing a fresh set of eyes. They understand their operations. And so, you know, we are seeing a lot of clients looking at that. And then what we are doing as part of that is we will have workshops with the clients and we'll bounce ideas off each other, you know, of what we might be able to do with a refridge or might be able to do with changing the process or moving the carcass chillers. And, and so there's, you know, there's endless opportunities and it's just documenting what's best for that client and best for that site or what they want to get out of that site in the next five to 10 years. Yeah, I think the plant that I actually did my trade in was built in 1913. So you can imagine the amount of red brick and buildings and, oh. and the amount of extensions over yeah. 100 and so years. Well, I've and, got to say, 40, a 40-year-old plant feels pretty modern at the moment, yeah. doesn't it, really? Yeah. It's 1980. Yeah. I mean, God, <laughs> that's a modern um, plant. Yeah. But if you you know look across Australia and New Zealand, there's a lot of plants that they're proud of their heritage. The current plant might only be 40 or 50 years old, but the site, they've been there for a long time. Yeah. So it's not only just the buildings, it's the infrastructure as well you know there's a lot of underground services and infrastructure coming into the sites the road may be a, a major hindrance on their ability to extend or a railway line you know most of these sites again they've either got a waterway on one side and the railway line on the other side mm. so part of the master planning is which is really cool to be part of is looking at what they want to do in the future and helping them you know put those building blocks in the right place for that future expansion yeah, that sounds pretty pretty good and an interesting job, right? When you can get in and have those sorts of discussions with people. I think that sounds pretty cool. Thank you for that. You've actually kind of brought it to a um, really good logical conclusion as well, actually. So we've got some big challenges around energy, some opportunities and you know, and challenges around automation as well. You're pulling it all together by taking a long-term sort of holistic view of the site. Ross and Nigel, thanks very much for joining me and our listeners today. It's been enlightening. I think our listeners would appreciate your candor as well in discussing some of the opportunities and challenges for the red meat processing sector. Look, I just want to thank our listeners as well for joining us today. And I look forward to joining you again in the future on FNB Soundbites. And as we say in New Zealand, goodbye and hi to da. Mm-hmm.